Welcome back to the Avery Adventures podcast. This podcast is brought to you by mountainops.com and bertrambrass.com. Please support these companies because they support the podcast. Uh, this week on the show, we have Jeff Brozovich from Long Range Only. This is one of our live video podcasts we did on the Avery Adventures YouTube channel. It's kind of cool. You can get on and post your questions in the comments and uh, Jeff answers them. We also talked about several other long range topics. So here's Jeff. This is Avery Adventures. If you're on our channel, you obviously already know that, but this is Jeff Brozovich from longrangeonly.com. Thank you, Jeff, for embarking on this test run with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, we really have no idea what we're doing, so we hope this works. We do have two viewers, so if you would comment to tell us it's working, even if you leave <laughs> after you comment, that'd be great. But don't leave after you comment. Stay. Join us. Uh, Jeff, how's the weather in Montana? Cold, man. 27 below yesterday morning on the truck mirror, and uh, I think 22 the day before, 20 the day before that, below zero. And we got at least 26, 28 inches of snow on the ground right now. So, yeah, not a lot of shooting going on. <laughs> I can't imagine a bullet would freeze before it got there. It would. It would. It's a nice cat in the background. Yeah, that's uh, that's my first one. All right. Well, we have six people and we have our first comment, so we should be able to uh, to start moving on. I can't even. It says Ryan should wear a hat that doesn't look so sweaty. I agree, John. <laughs> Actually, I made him change out of his rock slide sweatshirt mm. before this because he wears it literally every day. Yeah, I'm a man of many, uh, not very many clothing items no he has lots of clothing items he not that just i like to wear chooses to wear three <laughs> uh well let's jump into show the show season jeff if we have any questions along the way from our uh, the viewers we'll uh, bring them up but getting into the show season do you ever do you see anything out there that wowed you anything that you have to have you know there's a lot of technology coming this way and i, I think probably uh the big thing right now uh that i've seen is uh they just keep getting these range finding binos a little better all the time. And Zeiss has made some moves in that area. And so has, uh, and so has six hour. And, uh, I think, I think, uh, you know, they're going to get it right. They keep at it here. They're close right now. I mean, there's some pretty good stuff out there and at reasonable prices, which I think a lot of people are going to go for that. Have you looked through those 3000s yet? The six 3000s? I have, I've had them here. Um, Peter Howe came up from SIG and we played around with one and linked it to the Kestrel and messed around here. And I ranged out to 2,500 yards with him and we got a correction and, uh, Daniel's got a play a pair right now. He's been messing with them. I think one time he, he went to mess with them after he got them off work there and, uh, it was already dark, but he just went for shooting, uh, things he could see or, you know, where there was a light or something and he got 3000 yards out of one of them. So, uh, so, and you got to dial up. So that, that was cool. I, like I said, I think there's some real good uh, things coming our way and they're pretty dang affordable, you know, compared to what we used to have to pay. If you were to, if you were to, I know it's kind of putting you on the spot, but if you were to say between that Zeiss rangefinder, the victory rangefinders, those SIGs, have you had much time behind enough, the SIGs to, to know? I haven't. And to tell you the truth, I, I passed those off to Daniel and, uh, Jose Gardner are going to be working with the SIG and, uh, you know, Justin Heyer has already been beating the Zeiss for a year now. And, and I passed them off to them guys. Cause I, you know, I think these are cool, but they're not me. Um, I just like my rangefinder separate, you know, and uh, 
I don't know. I'm kind of stuck in my ways on some of that stuff. But uh, no, I, I don't know which one. I, I really don't have enough time with either one to say one's better than the other. And I, it ain't that I'm put on the spot. It's just I, I just don't have that knowledge. Gotcha. Anything on the scope side you saw that interest you? Nothing I can talk about. <laughs> they're not released yet, but there there is some good things coming. I think it's going to be pretty cool from uh, from one of my favorites. So I'm waiting for him to send us some of that and, and being able to talk more about it. All right. One of the guys asked, he's starting from scratch in 2019. What is the best way equipment to get a shooting solution and cold bore hits out to 1,200 yards? You know, I'll tell I'll tell anybody, Ryan, and see if you agree. Uh, if you're if you're starting out, download the ten dollar shooter app or the thirteen dollar applied ballistic app and learn it and uh, put good data in it, and you're going to get good corrections coming back. No, I would agree. I, I, you should find out if you like it because yeah, and it just it and it gets you the education it'll give you by all the data entry, you know, and getting used to that stuff and how to build a profile for your rifle and your ammunition and, and what the whole thing is all about as, as a, you know, uh, just to get used to the flow and then move into more complicated devices. If you need to, I still use shooter. I still use applied ballistics mobile app and, and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I've got it in devices like my kilo 2400 and, uh, we've got it in, uh, uh, Garmin, Fortrex 701, you know, we, we use all that stuff, but, uh, I still use my phone apps, you know, when I need to. Right. And I think always the weakest thing on any long range, long range system is going to probably be you and then your scope. So you got to get those two things figured out before you, uh, get too excited about it. Yeah, definitely. You got to have a scope that, you know, a reasonably accurate rifle. And some people think, oh, I got to have a quarter minute gun. You don't. You know, if you got a one-minute gun, the 1,200 yards we're talking about here, you know, you're shooting a 12-inch circle. You're shooting a pie plate at, uh, at 1,200 yards. So if you got a one-minute gun and you know how to shoot it, then the next thing is uh, good data entry and a scope that will track and return to zero. If your scope will not track to, to the MOA or the mill, um, you're, you're screwed. And you got to come back to zero. Your zero is very important. All right. This is kind of jumping ahead, but somebody already asked. Carl Scott asked about the – the big 30-year building and the 230 CEs, but I think they're 240 CEs, aren't they? I got 220 cutting-edge laser maxes to test and uh, 240s. 220s and 240s all in the cutting-edge laser max, which is their hunting bullet, their tipped bullet. Um, it all generated from, I called Dan Schmitko up at uh, cutting-edge bullets, and I said, hey, I want some big bullets. Can, what, what can you do for me here? And we talked about the different things and this and that and the I, I mean, literally, uh, we didn't talk anymore, and a, a month or so later, I got them in the mail, and, and uh, I'm really anxious to get them in something that'll push them. Right. On those cutting edge, they're, how are they – I know they're different, but I'm kind of asking for the people listening. How are they different than, say, the ELDMs with the tipped? Well, the whole thing is, you know, you're talking about the ELDM being a cup core bullet, which means a copper jacket and a lead core. And uh, the cutting edge bullets are all lathe turned. They're all solid copper lathe turned bullets. Um, the tips do the same thing on both of them. They initiate expansion. Um, obviously, a solid without a tip, even if it, I mean, you can put a hollow point in it, but it better be a big one because, uh, you know, copper is going to be harder to expand than lead. And uh, so you, you design the right tip and you put the right uh, void of cavity behind it and uh, you get expansion. And that's how they do it with the cutting edge. All right, and then your big 30, the 300 HCM, what's the uh, specs and the plan behind that? 
the plan is I've got everything here right now and we're just days away from getting the action. And the reason we're a little held up on the action was in the middle of all this research and development and looking at things and talking to barrel manufacturers and everybody and looking back at the problems I've had with Lapua size bolt face cases and things, um, we elected to go for a larger uh, barrel thread. So that means we had to redo the action I had here. And so uh, uh, Curtis Customs, uh, and I've been working with uh, Chase Curtis and Joel Russo on this. And they actually, we added some, uh, they added an integral barrel lug to the action, which allows me to have more thread area. Mm-hmm. And then also open it up to a 1.1 thread diameter instead of the old 1.062 that the Remington 700 has. What that's going to do is when you put these big cases in, it's just going to allow the barrel to retain more meat around it and uh, and be stronger. And then the other thing is this case is so long, we had to have custom-made barrels made with a three-inch shank on them um, uh, with a 1250 shank three inches long so that we weren't protruding into a thin part of the barrel with that long case. So that's where we're at with it. The action is supposed to be done any day and, and be here. Barrels are here. Stocks are here. All the other stuff is here. And uh, uh, I've been talking with uh, Robert Vestal. I think Robert's going to chamber that one up. Um, so just waiting on that action and send it out there. And we're looking for big things. I mean, it's going to burn a lot of powder. I got about five different powders to try in it. Um, but uh, I'm hoping, and this is all just a prediction, but I'm hoping if I can push a, a 240 to, you know, somewhere around, around 3,300, it'll be something to behold. Gotcha. I'm going to bring this mic closer. People keep telling me they can't hear me. Uh, Daniel, if you're listening, is this any better? <laughs> All right. On that barrel, the barrel tendon, because we ordered five proof barrels that we thought you were going to use, and I'm using one on a 300 plus P edge. Can you explain mm-hmm. why you're not, uh, you won't be able to use that one and what the risk is if you did use it? Well, the big thing is, uh, there we better mention that these are proof carbon wrap barrels. Mm-hmm. And so obviously to wrap them, you have to turn down the contour of the stainless steel underneath and you don't want your cartridge case with the bigger diameter case, like the high country Magnum or the Lapua improved or something like that. You don't want your cartridge case protruding out underneath the carbon wrap and, uh, you know, possibly creating a thin area on the stainless to where you could get, I mean, probably the chances of it blowing up aren't there, but the possibility of you getting an expansion under pressure and then coming back causing hard extraction is real. And I think I've, I've uh, even been into that area before. So by going to a, <clears throat> a larger shank and those were one, 200 shank barrels, which is fine with the edge diameter case. But when you go to the high country Magnum case, which is larger bolt face and larger case diameter, we had to increase the uh, shank diameter to one, two fifty. And then, like I say, then maintain that one, two fifty for three inches before they started to carbon wrap where the other barrels were two and a half inches. So what do you think with, and that's a 28 inch barrel, correct? You're gonna yes, it is. Do you think you'll be able to push those two forties? Do you have any, even estimate on how fast you'll be able well, to? Well, I think 3,300 is, is what I'm hoping for, you know, and it, we really don't know. A couple of things I think I got in my favor is that cutting edge bullet being a bore rider, you know, it has hardly any bearing surface and acceleration rate's going to be pretty good. And, you know, I think it might zip right up there. I mean, I'm shooting them in my big 375 and seeing phenomenal velocity out of the bigger 400 grainers, you know. So the next logical question that people are going to ask you is why not just use the big 338? Um, I had the reamer and I was going to do all that, but hey, this thing's a half inch longer than the big 330. Oh, you mean for um, 
Oh, do the 338 instead of the 30? Either way, either even like a big... Oh, the, the, being a 338 country magnum is yeah, what you're saying. Right. Um, really no reason other than I've got a 338 pushing, you know, 300 grainers to 3150 right now, and I can even push it harder if I need to, but um, I, I don't know. Um, I I like a big 30 for an everyday hunting rifle, and, uh, you know, I, I just, I want to go there. I want to I wanna build a big bad 30 and see how it does. I did it before years ago. I did it with, uh, you know, 3378s and, and some stuff like that. And, but we just didn't have the bullets in, but we got some pretty impressive 30 caliber bullets now and we can push them hard enough. I think they'll, uh, I think they'll, they'll hang right with a 338 for a while. Now they're not going to arrive with the, you know, with the uh, force that a, a 338, 300 grainer does, but, uh, I don't think there'll be any slouch. No, I agree. So are you going to be um, attending any shooting competitions coming up, or are you building something for shooting competitions? We're building so many rifles, Tanya, I'm having a hard time keeping up. We uh, we actually are. Um, we have two barreled actions going together at Snowy Mountain Rifles right now in six Creedmoor, and Daniel and I are going to do, we're going to dip into a couple little PRS events this year, one being the S3 Sniper Challenge that's coming up in uh, April. And uh, so we'll be shooting those uh, Snowy Mountain Rifle actions and barreled actions there and putting them in McMillan. Uh, I think we got McMillan A6s to match our, our, uh, to match our Voodoos. So we'll have the Voodoos for trainers, and those will be our PRS-type guns. And then uh, we're also <clears throat> chambering up uh, or barreling up uh, two uh, Christensen Arms Ridgeline 300 Wind Mags, and we're putting them in McMillan stocks, and we're going to shoot them at that um, – night force uh steel challenge that down in wyoming in june and we'll be running that with uh burger ammunition the 215s and just running a running an old 300 wind mag through that course so what are your thoughts on that 6.5 prc craze that is going on or is still happening i guess before you answer that, you know, before you answer that she's right the 6.5 prc craze and me and you are both not shy about how we love seven mags. So <laughs> they're very similar, but in what I've watched is, uh, I guess they're flat shooting. They're still smart, small bullets for calibers. So if you were not going to shoot elk with them, show, tell me that side of it. And if you are going to hunt elk with them, tell me that side of it. Well, let's, let me tell you this. Um, so I just started shooting six, five creeds a couple years ago. Um, just messing around with them, testing rifles and stuff. And I kind of found a place where they fit in my lineup and then comes along the six, five PRC. So if it's faster, I'm going to take a look at it. You know, I got to tell you, I'm pretty fond, but how could I not be, you know, I've had two of these rifles. I still got two of these rifles. Um, both of them shot factory ammo into 0.3 MOA in the first few shots out of the barrel. I mean, brand new Christensen arms, a Ridgeline and a Traverse, you know, and how can you not like that? I mean, I don't have to reload for this thing. And if it'll shoot like that, it's going to do everything I need to do inside the distance. Now I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with the, with the bullets. Um, and I always thought that, okay, if I was going to shoot an elk with the six, five PRC and, and these, any of the Hornaday 143 ELDX or ELDM, I'd probably keep it under 500 yards, but actually my performance out of these bullets has been a lot better past 500 yards on the animals I've killed. I killed a, an antelope at 826 and, and that ELDM worked 
flawlessly at that distance. It full pass through, uh, exit hole about size of a golf ball, right through the vitals, and it was great. And then I shot another antelope at 510, same deal. Did a really nice job. Then we shot a couple mule deer, one at 125 yards and one at uh, at about 365 yards. And this is with the 147s. And it those things blew up so bad inside that animal. I mean, it killed them. I mean, it killed them graveyard dead. But, I mean, it, it busted the diaphragm. I mean, I shot them right, and it busted the diaphragms. It ripped everything out of the stomachs and, and threw it all over my tenderloins. And I had it hanging out the other side where a piece of one exited. And I'm like, holy cow. So I have a little reservation about shooting an elk at close distance with them. Um, will it get in there? Will it do its job? I think I'm going to do a little more testing before I do that. But right now, if I had to take a shot in an elk, I'd rather have a 600-yard shot than a 200-yard shot with that bullet. Yeah. I would concur. <clears throat> yeah, if, for sure. If somebody's just building it and they're going to use it for, a say, a deer gun, a mule deer gun, you know, backpacking for sheep, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's a hell of a round. Um, I, I think it's a hell of a round. I, I just don't know. I mean, there's a bullet out there that worked great for it at these closer distances. I just don't have the experience with it yet. Um, I, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a great round. If you want a six, five, why not go with it? Yeah. The old six, five, two eighty four is almost a, you know, a mirror image ballistically of what it does, but God, look at the, what we got for ammo available here. If I don't have to load for it and it'll shoot 0.3 MOA, I'm in love. You know, I, that's just one less thing I have to do and I can grab it and go do what I'm going to do because I'm not going to, I don't need the hand loaded ammunition if it shoots that good, especially, you know, cause I'm not going to take this gun hunting past a thousand yards. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to be well inside of that. So that's what I, you know, I think it's a good choice for a guy that's going sheep hunting or, or mule deer hunting or anything like that. I mean, I wouldn't be afraid to take it on a big mule deer hunt. Unless I thought the shots were going to be past a thousand, then I'm going to take something that's you know better suited. So that would be a good choice for somebody that hunts like one week a year that doesn't have a lot of guns that they're just kind of looking for a all-purpose you know rifle. I, I would think. Uh, would you concur with that or? Because a lot of these. I would. It just understand that if you're if it's a person that just has one gun, if they'd want to do a bunch of target shooting. I tell them to drop back to the 6.5 Creed because that barrel will last forever where the PRC is going to be a limited barrel life. Well, I'm just thinking of the guys that, you know, draw a tag, go out once once a year, don't do a lot mm -hmm. of target shooting because they're the, all the ones that you see at the range, you know, a week before the season opens. So I I, I just, I think that's a pretty, pretty accurate gun and pretty, pretty it is. It is. It's and recoil is very manageable. It's pretty. It's pretty hard not to like them. You know, it really is. Mm -hmm. Omar, my, I can't really see the last name. Contreras, eight hundred dollar rifle compared to a five thousand dollar plus custom rifle, and the same question with glass: five hundred or two thousand? Thanks. Eight hundred dollar <laughs> rifle. Well, I. You know, I, I'm not on top of that game. I, I don't know what to say about an $800 rifle. Uh, you probably know more about those. I suppose there's uh, some guys are really fond of the Tikas. You know, I've seen Tikas shoot. I've seen Tikas not shoot. Um, you know, on a lower end rifle, I, I'd be looking at Christensen Arms Mesa, but they're 1300. They're not 800. But that's that's where I'd be looking. Um, right. You know, so uh, but compared to a $5,000 rifle, it all depends on what you're going to do and what your expectations are. If you're going to shoot like we do. You know, or like like you guys do, or I mean, if you're going to shoot all the time, 
you'll pull the benefits out of a, of, of a high-end rifle. You know, if you don't shoot that often or you're just getting started, you may not see them. You may think you got took. Right. And to my, my, I always get this question and I, I'm with you. Everybody says they just get Tikas and they're just one hole guns. And I have found that not to be the case. The thing I get with a custom rifle and what I want is what exactly the hell that I want. I don't need to go buy extra stuff to make it work. And people say, well, Tika's only this much money. But to get it to shoot how I want, it's not that much money. I got to dump a whole lot more into it. At that point, I might as well look at the next either higher end semi, you know, semi custom rifle like a Christensen or get a full blown custom rifle. I'd agree with that. And, and when you get to the level that, you know, um, where we're at, I mean, you know, you do start that you, you define exactly what you want to hunt with, you know, and you, you find those favorites. And, uh, um, once you've defined that, then that's when you want to go and have a custom build and get with that Smith. And there's, we, we're blessed with a lot of good ones, you know, get with a good Smith and, and talk about every piece that's going into it. When you get it, I'm pretty sure you're going to like what you got. Absolutely. And then, and then at least you have recourse to get it fixed. If something is wrong to, if you get a Tika and it doesn't shoot, you just have a Tika that doesn't shoot. Well, and the other thing is, yeah, you got a recourse there. You can go back and make some changes. The other thing is, are you going to be hunting with your $19 Montana tag locally? Or are you going on a hunt where you're going to drop, you know, a grand on a tag and, and how much on airfare? And, you know, if you're going on a big hunt, you, you may want to think about getting a rifle going that you like and you can trust and you know everything's right. And, and don't put all, you know, that way you can protect that investment of a, of a big hunt. So it makes a big difference there too. All right. $500, $500 glass or $2,000 glass. That's pretty simple to me. I've seen some glass in that $500 range that, you know, it worked. It sure worked. It's not going to do what I'm going to want it to do um, in most cases. You know, uh, I mean, one that comes to mind is I, I spent $400 trying to get a buddy mine set up. I spent $400 on a fixed power SFWA scope and that stupid thing cracked and shot and <laughs> had a lot of elevation in it. And Hey, go for it. You know, if that's what, if that's what fits your needs, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I got to have something that, man, you know, we go on so many elk hunts and we're out here, you know how that goes. We've got five weeks of elk rifle season here and I'm out there almost every day. And that gun goes from the truck to the ground to in the pack and all over. And, you know, you got to have a piece of glass on that thing and mount it up solid to where you don't have to wonder, has anything moved since the last one we shot? You know, I mean, you got you got to be able to trust that you really got to have good stuff. And that's uh, that's where I, I like my more expensive, you know, optics. Yeah, Ryan actually Cliff tests his optics. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff <laughs> tests? Cliff tested. Not by chance, yeah. by accident. Uh, and I'd also want to kind of point out that we're not talking about guys entry level stuff. We're talking about, this is more of long range side and I'm not knocking on the guy that can't jump in and buy a five to eight, $9,000 setup. We're talking about if you want to become a successful long range shot. And I think I'm with Jeff, anything you have to start <clears throat> dialing for is probably a long range shot and you need to start thinking about buying better gear if you can. Yeah, you know, you can take a lot of scopes that are pretty inexpensive and zero them and lock things down and it'll, you know, it'll stay there. But when you start cranking that elevation turn up to the top and back down, you know, four or five times or 10 times a day, uh, it takes a pretty good piece of mechanics there to keep doing that day after day after day and year after year. You know, we've, I'm sure we both got scopes that we've been doing that with for several years 
and uh, they still do what they were doing the very first day we got them, you know. Right. So that's what we're paying for. I think a lot of people um, balk when we talk about prices for a lot of stuff for hunting, but if you realize that that's our primary hobby um, and you think about other people's hobbies like snow skiing or water skiing or, you know, they're, they're dumping money into expensive boats and, you know, priorities. gear every year. I mean, so it's, it's just a matter of, of prioritizing your hobbies, I guess. If you're going to have several of these hobbies, yeah, you might have to uh, make some choices. But it, it's not as crazy as it probably first sounds when you hear it. Um, because I know that some people that snow ski every year are spending thousands and thousands of dollars for a very short season. And I know our seasons last longer than theirs. Yeah. Ask Daniel about a snowmobile in habit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have a neighbor that has a snowmobile that doesn't run more than it runs. So I don't know. But anyways, yeah, I guess the end the end statement is is buy the best the best that you can afford because usually And research it. Yeah. yeah. yeah research it. the application. Um yeah. Really say, There's there another question. question? I we, can't read that. We put this way too far away from it. What <laughs> what data do I need for the shooter apps? How am I collecting it, ke- It I guess, from the Kestrel? Okay, I think what he's asking is what – so you want to get your Kestrel set on actual station pressure. So your key um, numbers from your Kestrel are going to be um, your barometric – well, it'll say borrow on it, but that's your actual station pressure, your temperature, and uh, – if you have humidity, okay. If you don't put your humidity at 50% and leave it because it has a very little effect on it. But uh, that's the data you'll get from the Kestrel, and that's the data you'll enter for your shot. Obviously, you'll enter the distance, the angle of the shot, all your environmentals that we just talked about. And that's, like I said, that's after you have all your, your rifle and load data entered. And then, uh, and it'll, then you hit, you know, continue or whatever, and it goes on and gives you the uh, correction of what you dial up or hold over or whatever. What you, you use applied ballistic app. Is it, what is the big difference between shooter and uh, that applied ballistic app? I never really use that one. There's, there's not a, a, a whole, there didn't used to be a whole lot, but now applied ballistic's got some, some new things going on. But uh, the first thing that come to mind back in, you know, a few years back was when uh, Brian Lynch started doing a lot of testing and, and making, building a custom drag for, each bullet, you know, and you had those custom drag models. And <clears throat> for the people that don't know what that is, you know, uh, when you talk about G1 and G7 drag models and custom drag models, so what you want to do is you want to compare uh, the G1 to a bullet that's shaped more like a school bus, you know, or the old pistol bullets or something like that. That drag model fits that shape of bullet. You get into something a little racier like a, a Ferrari and you you talk about the VLDs with the boat tail bullets and the sleek noses and all that. And that's where G7 BCs uh, fit that model a little better for that type of bullet. And when you go with a custom drag, what it is, is he takes that exact bullet and he develops a model. So it's not a G1 or a G7 or a G anything. It's just a custom drag model for that shape of that one bullet. And so each bullet has its own model. And so, you know, does a guy shooting a thousand yards need it? No. You know, but uh, when you start doing, you know, crazy stuff, you know, where we're shooting targets way out there, the custom drag models will keep you on track. 
And I somebody asked me the other day that didn't know he does far more bullets than just burger on the G7 or the uh, custom curve model. Oh, absolutely. I um, when I put these uh, like this Hornaday factory ammo in when I when I put that stuff in there, I go to his library and pull up the 147 ELDM and you know or the ELDX 143 and punch it in and just, I just use a custom drag model and go. And if I got good solid velocities, well, the 11th shot out of my Ridgeline 6.5 PRC was that antelope at 826 yards. I mean, I zeroed the gun, shot it at 700, 500, 600, you know, next thing you know, I got this buck antelope at 826 yards and I X-ringed him. And that was just using that custom drag and the actual BC or the actual velocity from the, from a good chronograph and no tweaking was involved. Absolutely. Another question that just came to mind that I was asked the other day, if you're shooting and you're having trouble, you know, you say your dope says you need to hold such amount of elevation. Do you, would you change your velocity or you change your BC? Muzzle velocity or you change your BC? Since we've started using really good chronographs mm -hmm. and with really good drag models, I haven't had to change anything, you know, if I, so if I do have something where it's not lining up, the first thing I'm going to do is check my zero. Because if you're off on your zero by, let's say you're an inch high, you're gonna that's one MOA at 100 yards. You're going to be one MOA off all the way out. So you check your data, check everything, check every input. And from there, you know, I would probably start blaming it on extreme spread of the bullet and the distance I'm shooting. Then I would probably start trying to average my velocities or I would probably adjust my velocity first. BC, you could be off a little and it makes very little change. I mean, not saying that you don't need to get it as close as you can, but... That's a small change where 10 or 15 feet per second or 20 feet per second velocity will make a lot bigger difference than, you know, point, uh, Oh two or whatever on BC, you know, I, I totally agree with you. And it seems like the massive, the mass on the tactical side, totally disagree with us. <laughs> so it's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't well, back in the day, you know, we talked about the other day, you know, back when we were all using the little, handheld uh, Dell Axum 50 V's, you know, and he had the uh, Night Force uh, X-Ball program on there, you know, and we we're all using G1 BCs and that stuff. You, you had to tweak all that stuff in, and that doesn't seem like that long ago for me, but <laughs> maybe it was 10, 15 years ago, but, um, you know, you, you had to do all that tweaking and stuff back then, but today, you put good data in, these solvers are spot on. You know, I was, I don't know if you remember when I went to that ELR um world record shoot in Pahrump, Nevada a, a year ago before shot. And <clears throat> I was out here shoveling snow to lay down and dial that new rifle in that new big 375. Mm -hmm. And I was using applied ballistics, AB mobile app, and I was using Brian's custom drag model for the 400 grain cutting edge laser. And uh, I dialed that gun in here and Diane and I actually pulled off, went out in the desert and I shot a couple times out to 2000 yards with it. And I went to the match and I shot the match and I made, I made, uh, Two out of three hits at 1,500 and some yards and a couple hits at 2,011 yards with that thing, you know. And that was all, that was all right out of the, that was all right out of the uh, box, you know, the way things were, were dialed in. And then we went out to test the next day and I still haven't tweaked anything. This is just right out of the box settings with a, with a good load and a good rifle and a good solver. And I went out and we shot to 4,125 yards and my elevation was perfectly spot on. I mean, it's just hard to believe that right out of the box, you can dial all this stuff in. And if your scope tracks and you've got a good zero and you've got a low ES load that's accurate, 
you don't have to do a whole lot of tweaking here. And if I do have to do some tweaking, I'm going to try to figure out why before I do anything. Sorry, the UPS guy came and all hell broke loose. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, I didn't hear most of that, so we'll move on. But I'm sure you uh, laid it out nicely. The 300 PRC. I know we've talked about it. Is it hype? Oh, you know, we can all fall back on that crutch. You no, know, we got to have this because it's 300,000 shorter than a 300 wind mag. You know, and it fits in my arm. It fits in my uh, <laughs> my detachable mag box, so I can get 25 rounds in here and go play army. But you know, it's <laughs> there. I don't know. You know. I, it's got its advantages. You know, if you're going to buy a Tika with a short mag box, it's going to, you know, the ammo's got a better chance of fitting. But there's just not, you know, it all boils down to case volume and pressure. So look at the rating of the pressure on the case. And, if, you know, if you got a good, got good brass and it's got a high enough uh, uh, pressure rating, you'll get the velocity. And, you know, one, you know, one's got, what is the PRC, a little bit smaller than the Nosler? Yep. Well, I ran my, and, and, and we were talking about this the other day. I was talking with Ryan Furman about this, but so, you know, we look at sample data and we're trying to do all these comparisons, but by budget and by practicality, we're forced to take sample data from <clears throat> two rifles. And the difference between all these cartridges we're comparing, there's probably more difference from one barrel to the next barrel than there actually is in case performance. So, you know, if you got a, let's say was like what I did when I compared the Nosler to the 300 wind mag and I was able to make my 300 wind mag with the same load run the same velocity as a Nosler with the same bullets and everything, same lots of powder, same everything. So, but when you look at that, was it a fair comparison? If let's say the Nosler had a slower barrel on it and my wind mag, we all know it had a good barrel on it. Maybe it was a little faster, had more rounds down it. So the difference very well could have been we were cheating one and the other one was kind of a rock star. <laughs> it, it's, you really would have to do a lot of testing with a lot of different barrels to say this one's faster this one, than this one. And these guys, I mean, I'm not even going to, I don't even watch that hype from the, the manufacturers are putting out there because they're going to, they're going to handicap the guy they don't like to, to make the guy they do look great, you know? And, and, and that's just marketing. That's nothing against anybody. That's just marketing. But Hey, you got a few grains difference in each one of these. And, uh, don't look for anything stellar to come from either one. There'll be more difference in particular rifles from rifle to rifle than there will be from just the 30 PRC, the 30 Nosler, and the 300 Win. Yeah, the the belt argument gets really fucking old. Every time I hear that, <laughs> I heard a guy the other day, and I was just reading something. He's like, the reason I don't like a 300 Win is I always get case head separation above the belt. And I'm thinking, it probably is not the brass. It's probably the reloader. You know, Ryan, I don't know if you know this or not, but I used to be a diehard Weatherby guy and everything. I mean, I shot some some big Weatherby cases and loaded them to the hill. I mean, crap, I had a 168 grand out of a 3378 going 3,700 feet per second. You know, I mean, I was loading this on basically it destroyed brass in two shots and I've done all that stuff. I've never had a problem sizing with the belt. I, maybe there's some kind of golden star following me around, but I, I can honestly look anybody in the eye and say, oh, yeah. I have loaded a bazillion belted cases and never had a problem. I know a guy that turned them off in the lathe because he just hated the looks of it, you know, and, and do whatever you want. After the first shot, the headspace, you know, 
what is these these rounds we get now? Let's say a non-belted one. You know, the first firing you get ten to twelve thousandths case growth. You know, to the shoulder moves forward ten twelve thousandths. You know, because there's nothing for it to register. At least the wind mag has a belt to headspace off of for that first firing. Then after the first firing. We're going to move the shoulder back 2,000. We're going to head space off the shoulder. It's going to do the same thing all the rest of them do. But if you don't like looking at that belt or you think it's causing you problems, don't build one. But by God, I've never had an issue. And what about all the seven mag guys out there? You know, where's, <laughs> I mean, seven Remington Magnum, is there, how many of them are around? You know, I mean, is it, is it a big issue? Really? You know, uh, I don't see it. The reason, to all seriousness on it, I think the reason it'll be successful is the same reason the 6.5 PRC will be successful. Successful, Cheap ammunition, factory ammo. And I think that's why it'll make it. Um, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attribute some of this to uh, just in the last few years. You know, we started testing that ABM factory ammo, which is now Burger Munitions, you know. Uh, my God. I'm, I never, you know, I had, I had not shot factory ammo forever. You know, I just gave up on it years ago. And stuck in my ways, just kept reloading. And I started shooting some of this stuff and it looked really good. And now Hornaday's followed suit with their ammo. It shoots good. You know, it shoots really good. And uh, so we're blessed with a lot of product out there today. That's a lot better than it used to be. I totally agree. And I, that outside of a few pieces of the six, five, the one forty seven ELDM factory ammo, it shot really good. It shot really good. So yeah, and I haven't got a, <clears throat> I haven't got a bazillion rounds down them yet, but I, I you know, I've been shooting them quite, quite a bit, and uh, yeah, and, and before that, the six-five Creedmoor, you know, that was all factory stuff. I was buying a Hornaday, day, and crap, we killed some antelope out there, six hundred yards or better, you know, and it did its job, and and uh, so, yeah, I think we're, I think that's a big, I think that's a big thing right there. A guy that don't want to invest, you know, all the money in reloading or learn how, you can buy some pretty good ammo. Absolutely. Uh, Chad Torres, I believe says, does do everything hunting caliber Haviland to elk for his son to train, to shoot for long range, currently using a 270, considering something with more horsepower thoughts. Uh, it depends on, I guess, how old your son is, but I guess Jeff, give it a, give it a go. Well, you know, my friend Cody, you know, we did some lion hunting together and, uh, his young son, Wyatt, he, you know, Cody's dialing on him in and he asked me the very same question. We started, um, he started Wyatt out, you know, on a 25 out six, you know, until he got a couple years of hunting under his belt. And, but then Wyatt started shooting his 338 edge more than he was shooting 25 out six. So, you know what, uh, for Christmas, Wyatt's, uh, getting a new Ridge line. It's on order. It'll be here any day. Um, we're hoping tomorrow maybe, but anyway, uh, he's getting a Ridge line in 300 wind mag with a good break. So that's, that's what he's going to be shooting. So if you get a, you know, the right rifle, the right stock and a, and a good break and some hearing protection, get him, a, if he's going to hunt elk, give him a rifle, they'll kill it, you know, but he, you know, teach him to shoot first with something smaller. Yeah, absolutely. Make him sure he's not scared of the gun before you bring him a big gun. Yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, extreme long range craze, do you think it's helping or hurting long range hunting? I don't think it's hurting because what I see in the ELR shooters is uh, not that many of them are, are as big into hunting as I am. You know, I'm kind of the oddball there. You know, I care more about hunting than I do the ELR, but the ELR entices me to, to go, you know, test the limits. Um, it's making me a better wind reader. 
so I, I think it, in my world, it, it's, it's helping me when, with the hunting side of it, I, as far as it doing anything, uh, you know, that you, it doesn't matter whether you're hunting with a, a bow or what you're always going to have them guys that see somebody else, uh, you know, shoot a target at 2000 yards and they're going to go buy that rifle and try to do it on, you know, game animal that that's more the ethics that lies inside somebody's heart, you know, than it is, uh, um, with anybody, you know, just because a guy that did it at a target, you know, but I don't, I don't think it's really having that much effect. I, I think it's probably going to bring some knowledge on board that hopefully we can share that and, uh, make people more efficient. That's where I would hope it's going. Yeah, I think it definitely, as we, we talked about this off air, obviously, it, it definitely starts telling you your limitations. Yeah, 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 it'll humble you real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, we, but you know, we're getting there. You know, it used to be a thousand yards was a challenge. I mean, that ain't been that many years ago. And now, you know, then it went to, I just got to hit something at a mile. Well, now, I'm, you know, if, if the conditions are good, and I think I got the, the wind under control, you know, I can hit a, a steel plate at a mile pretty regular, you know, and I don't think that's too big a deal, but just move from that mile out to 2000 yards and <laughs> things get, <laughs> it starts getting more humbling. So what I'm wondering is, you know, is that crazy going to follow? Or are we just going to keep getting that much better? Are we going to improve our equipment and our, you know, and our knowledge and, and just get better at it? But, uh, I still don't think that, you know, it's going to make, you know, hunting at a mile that much more practical or anything, but, uh, but we might be down. It might help us a lot. We might be a lot better at our 800 yard shots. So you're, what you've seen is not a lot of competition shooters are also hunters. They just, if they're competition shooters, they mostly stay as competition shooters. And there's just a small portion of them that are also hunters. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm seeing. Um, the, the guys that are into the competitions, that's all they got time for. You know, they're going, they're traveling, they're, they're, they're rebarreling, they're, they're working constantly to get to that point. They don't have time to do what we do in the hunting side of the world. I mean, you know, there's some guys that break off and go hunting, but I don't think they're taking their ELR 35 pound rifles to go do it, you know, and, uh, you know, we've, we've seen what happens when some guys take a big 375 and put it in a 12 pound package and, you know, a couple of rounds with that. And you're, you're kind of tired of that already. So, you know, I mean, it just beats the hell out of you. So I, I don't see it coming back that, that way. I think, yeah, I think it is two separate games, you know, and I just happen to have the, the luxury of having a big 375 where I can go play a couple of these, but I'm going to shoot a couple competitions a year on the ELR side. And that's all I'm going to do. Sure. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I should have, his computer is too far away. You need my reading glasses. John Scanlon. Without asthma, without asthma, asthma, atmospheric, <laughs> atmospheric and altitude adjustment, what yardage will you start seeing noticeable point of impact errors? It's a pretty good question. Um, it depends on the cartridge. You know, obviously, well, let's just take a, uh, let's just take the 6.5 PRC. I think uh, as long as you know your as long as you know what your holdovers, your dial-ups are at that distance, and, and just because you changed altitudes, I think five, six hundred yards you can get away with quite a bit. But uh, when you start stretching out past that, you're you're probably going to be disappointed. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I've been thinking about this a lot, and uh, I wanted to ask your opinion. Long-range hunting bullets are they, you know, and I'm not talking thousand yards. I'm talking twelve hundred and out. Are long-range hunting bullets still the weak link? 
the weak link. Yeah. So, you know, I, I am, I'm doing a podcast on the elk that I, that I killed this year. I found him, but I didn't find him for six days. And mm-hmm. that bullet was a complete failure in my mind. It, I hit him three mm-hmm. times. I mean, it, it killed him. But as far as, you know, when I shot the moose at 1775 and the, that was with a, uh, Sierra match King and it didn't open. I shot a bull at 1583 and it killed him but it didn't seem to open that much with a burger 300. Do you still think that, I mean, what's your opinion on that? Is the weak link or is it, you know, not hitting bone, hitting flesh? I mean, what's your opinion? No, it's, it's definitely impact velocity is, is everything. And actually the bullets I use, you know, which are, you know, usually burgers, I don't care if they say target on them or if they say hunting or what, it doesn't matter to me. Um, they all, I've shot enough of all of them. They'll all, there, there's, there's other things, you know, a few feet per second impact velocity, or like you just suggested, you hit a rib going in or you missed a rib going in, um, <clears throat> will make more difference than the, the three or four thousand thickness in a jacket. But what what I like about the bullets I use is I get maybe even too much expansion at, at 100 or 200 yards, but there's, I'm still killing stuff. I've never had a problem. But uh, when I get out there at a thousand or so, I've got perfect. That's where that bullet works its best. You know, it expands just enough to you know, it still tears everything up and comes out the other side, you know, the size of a golf ball. And, uh, you know, I get exits at them farther distance and everything. So I don't think that as far as long range hunting, I think we've got better bullets for long range hunting out there past a thousand or just as good a bullets as we got available for, you know, the guys that only shoot a hundred, 150, you know, it's just two different designs and what you want your bullet to do, you know, uh, I, I really don't think that's a problem. Now, I know there's some bad designs, um, and I know, you know, what you went through with those. Um, you know, my longest shot ever on an elk, you know, was with a 300-grain Sierra Match King, but, you know, he was kind of quarter and facing me, and I went in through some pretty thick stuff and bone, and it tipped him up over backwards. He reared up and fell over backwards, deader than a hammer, you know. Sure. So it worked just fine, but look what I did with it. You know, I went through the tough stuff first. So no two shots are ever the same. No two bullets are ever going to exactly act the same, whether you go through thick hide, thin hide, how much muscle before you hit bone. If you do hit bone, if you don't hit bone, if you just fly through, you know, the jello lungs and out the other side and miss the ribs, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, the angle that's coming in, that was something that's pretty impressive. I haven't got around to writing that story yet, but my moose this, uh, uh, you know, this last year, <coughs> excuse me, but I was a long ways away from that moose and I had my you know, 30 nozzle of the 215 burger. And the thing I didn't account for was I was very high on a hill. Mm-hmm. And my bullet was dropping at a pretty rapid rate past a thousand yards. And <coughs> I should have aimed higher on the animal because when a bullet come down, it was coming in high on one side and going out low on the other. I mean, when I seen the exit, I'm like, holy cow, I was way low. And then I go around and look at the entrance side and I said, no, I was right on, you know. So <clears throat> these are all things we got to learn. So that's why I'm saying no two shots are ever the same. The angle the bullet goes in, you know, what it travels through. You're never going to get one bullet that's going to be perfect in all scenarios. Just, it just ain't going to happen. I don't remember, but refresh my memory. How did that bear wound channel look that you shot at with a 1702? It was perfect. It was perfect. That was uh, <clears throat> That was a... 300 grain OTM burger, uh, HBN coated. And I check all my tips. I don't open them up any larger, but the tips were checked on, checked on those to make sure they were open all the way back to lead. <clears throat> that bullet went in 
and clipped the and the, the bear was quartering away from it a little bit. It clipped the muscle on the backside of the near leg, went through through the heart and out the other side in front of the shoulder, you know, at the base of the neck down towards the, you know, more towards the shoulder there. And the exit hole was about about an inch to an inch and a quarter, about the size of a quarter is about what it was. Gotcha. What was the impact velocity on that? Oh, six. Don't quote me here without looking at my app, but I'm going to tell you 1650. Gotcha. It's pretty close. Yeah. That's, that's still bringing it. That was with the 338 Terminator, correct? That was, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, I was running that thing at 3,200 back then. And it might've been a little bit faster than that. I, I'd have to relook at those, that data. I don't remember, but it was well under the 1800 feet per second that they, claim they stopped expanding and that one it sure did you know yeah that's the thing in the back of my mind is it's you know do you hit a shoulder do you not and like i said i'll do a podcast on that elk but it, i think about it every day and uh i'll definitely bring <clears throat> those bullets into the the storyline but i think if you had one bullet 1400 yards gun of your choice what's it going to be 300 burger otm right now but i I haven't hunted with these cutting edge, uh, you know, lasers yet. I, I, I just want to get some data before I, but if I got to pick one today and a 300 burger is where it's going to be. I mean, that thing at four, 1400 yards, I'm past where I, <clears throat> unless we see something out of these great big thirties that really changes my mind. I mean, if I know I'm going to go out and shoot 1400 yards on an elk, mm-hmm. I'm going to take a 338 if I have the option, you know? So, yeah. I mean, that's where I'm at today. Unless, like I say, we get one of these big thirties that just like, holy cow, you know? But we'll, we'll have to see that. Yeah, B. Ricks asked, how important is angle? My older Leica does not display that. So how important is the angle of the shot? It's about like anything to do with a long-range shot and a shooting solution. All your Anything that's an error. So let's call that angle an error. That means if we don't account for it, you know, it's going to be off. <clears throat> All your errors are on a vector that, that, that magnify and multiply with distance. So... How important is that at 300 yards? Not very. How important is it at 750 or 800 yards? It starts to add up. And if we're only talking a couple degrees, probably not that big a deal. But when you start talking 8, 10, 12 degrees, now we're talking a minute of angle. At eight, you know, it could be, you could be 8 inches, 10 inches off at, on an 800-yard shot. So, All right. Kind of on the same, part, the same question, Chad Torres, Torres asked, what about 800 and in for a bullet? And in, well, I'm still going to use the 215 burger on, on that kind of stuff for about everything. Um, now, if I'm going to be 400 and in all the time, every time, I'd probably look at something different. I might go with, you know, some of these bonded things or something that stays, you know, that doesn't blow quite as much. But I go out there with a bullet that I know is going to work the best in the worst case scenario. And that's going to be my longest shot. And if I'm off the mark a little, because I want something that's going to help me when I'm off the mark, because the reality is. We all think we can nut that wind every shot, but we can't. And you're going to be off on time. You better have a bullet that'll cover for you a little bit. Some of them goddamn bonded bullets. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. No, that's all right. They're all right. I, I just want as long as they'll expand it. You know, at, at 1,500 feet per second. And and to tell you the truth, I wish maybe they if they bond the back half of some of these bullets we're using, maybe it'd be a good deal. I'm not against bonding. I'm a, the problem is there ain't nothing out there that'll do what we're doing with these bullets that we're using, you know? I mean, at long, the longest worst case scenario. Carl Scott asked any experience with the 30 Cal 225 ELDMs on game. 
only what some friends have done, and, and, and you probably got more experience in that than I do, Ryan, only what some friends have done and what I've you know seen around and read from some trusted sources. Uh, and, and I haven't seen a whole lot of bad. I've seen a little bit of bad, but you're always going to get that from, you know, any bullet. There's always going to be a guy that had a problem, you know. Yeah. So. Chad, I shot an elk at six uh, something. It good shot. It went right down. But I shot a cow in the guts at 300 and something yard. And she almost went down. She took a couple steps and buckled onto her front legs, and I shot her behind the shoulder. So a study, case study of two, they did excellent. That was out of a 300 rum doing about 30-30. And the key there, too, is use, if you're going to use a fragmenting bullet, use a big one. You know, don't – I mean, big for caliber. You know, don't, don't go take your 300 wind mag and go put a 160-grain bullet in it and a fragmenting bullet and then – bitch about what it did when you know it didn't perform like you thought it would you know you're gonna use a fragmenting bullet understand you're gonna lose by the time it's halfway through the animal you're gonna lose you know 40 percent of that bullet already and you're gonna lose some more before it gets out of there you know in fragments so use one big enough to it's got some reserve there and can do the job yeah and people have a hard and that's what i like about the, the 225 you know it's big enough to do the job and that's by design. People always argue that point. That's what you want to happen. I like your, I like your phrase, premium hunting bullets. You say premium killing bullets with the fragmenting. <laughs> Seen it too many times. You know, the, the fragmenting bullets go in there and wreak havoc in, the, in that uh, chest cavity and destroy vitals. And well, maybe there ain't going to be a big hole with leaking fluids out the other side, but uh, you don't need it because they ain't going nowhere. If, they, if they've got huge internal oil leaks, you know, they ain't going very far. All right, last question for me, anyways. What's your the uh, what's the year with the twenty two? Is you going to have any more events? You going to go to any more events? I think it, our event here in Montana was so popular. Uh, I, I really think we got to do it again. Um, we just started thinking about that again. Um, we've had a blast. I shot that event down in uh, um, Las Vegas there um, before shot, and was lucky enough to tie for second on that, and just. Just had a blast shooting them. We've had, and I really think that my trigger control is better than it's ever been since I've been shooting the voodoo's, you know. And uh, so the training aspects of it is it, just, it's awesome. So yeah, I think they're, I think they're just catching on. I think we haven't seen the peak in this yet. There's going to be more events because you can put an event on anywhere. You know, if you got a range out to 500 yards, you know, you're, you're into some pretty, you know, long distances for a 22. You know, I've shot mine to 850, but um, let's face it, you know, you start hitting targets at 500, you're doing pretty good on a, on a one-foot target that we use, you know. Um, I don't think it's even nowhere near peak yet. I think there's all kinds of games, you know, you can you can do the PRS-style stuff or, or you can do the ELR-style stuff. Anybody can get into it at any level and compete. Um, I think it's going to roll. I think it's a big deal. I love it. I think it's a great way to get somebody new, whether it be – man, woman, or child into it with no bang. It's really no recoil. And the one thing you kept bugging me on getting one is you almost know instantly what you did wrong when you broke that trigger. Oh, gee, I was shooting. <laughs> I, I shoot flies at 50 yards. If I'm shooting a group or checking my zero at 50 yards, I'm on a fly lands on a target. And I don't know how that peanut butter got there, but if that fly <laughs> lands for that, peanut butter, <laughs> I, I mean, I've showed you pictures where I shot these flies at 50 yards. They're that accurate, but if your trigger control is a little messed up, you'll hit right next to him or the same way when you're shooting a group, it'll tell you and you'll know it. When you get a little sloppy and think this is too easy, about that time you put one outside the, the one ragged hole that it was shooting 
and then you go right back to the hole, you know it was you. And it was just you got a little sloppy with that trigger and, and with your, your press. Absolutely. We're coming up on an hour, so Tanya, you got any more questions? Yeah. How's Diane? How's Diane? She's lucky. She's lucky. She's lucky that you've entertained me here for over an hour now, and she's been in there doing her thing with her jewelry or whatever, and I haven't bothered her once. Jeff, they don't know how <laughs> these women don't know how lucky they are. They are lucky. Are off yours and mine, especially Ryan. You know, they're, <laughs> they're so lucky. Right. Well, I appreciate <laughs> you coming on. We'll have you back on again, and uh, again, thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Yep. Thank you for having me. I'll take care.